What's up, guys? All right, I think this is episode four of Legendary Youth Street Gangs in New York City. So we're going to take a different turn. This time, we're going to go to the west side of New York City, Hell's Kitchen, by way of Puerto Rico. So after World War II, the majority of New York City was still... New York City ghettos were still Italian, Irish, Jewish. And around 1952, I believe the year was 1952, Puerto Rico finally was established as a official commonwealth of New York City. And Puerto Rican immigrants were able to come to New York City without, were able to come to the United States without a passport or a visa. They can come and go. So this opened up the floodgates for Puerto Rican immigrants. And of course, they established themselves in certain ghettos of New York City that were predominantly Italian, Irish, Jewish, you know, predominantly white. So what happens when that when a new immigrant comes in is they have to fight their way to survive. Well, there's this one very tragic story that happened in 1959 in Hell's Kitchen. There was this uh, Puerto Rican gang from Hell's Kitchen called the Vampires. And there were several Puerto Rican gangs in Hell's Kitchen. Uh, there were several in Brooklyn, Bronx, of course, wherever they settled. But this story became national headline news because it had a terrible, terrible, tragic ending. And so the Vampires became relatively well-known because of this tragic ending. So what was happening is that Puerto Ricans from the uh, 70s and 80s on the west side of New York City were kind of starting to move down into the 40s and 50s. And Hell's Kitchen during that that time um, was predominantly Irish, some Italian, you know, some German, some Polish, predominantly Irish, though. And um, they had their own tough kids. And Puerto Ricans were moving in, and of course, these Irish kids didn't want them moving in. And they would fight them. They would beat them up. They would bully them. You know, you couldn't go past a certain line, you know, certain schoolyards. Well, no, that's, that's Irish and Italian. You can't come here. Forget it, you know. So what Puerto Rican kids were doing was they would unite, and they would fight them. And what had happened was um, this one Puerto Rican kid had gotten beaten up by an Irish gang called the Nordics, which were from the west side. And the particular Puerto Rican gang, the vampires that had enough, and the president of this Puerto Rican gang called the vampires was a 16-year-old boy named Salvador Agran. And they used to call him Dracula or the Cape Man. Apparently, he would wear a cape. And... uh, he was not just the leader. He was vicious. And he was a bit of a sociopath. He didn't just fight. He went there to kill. It was He had deep, deep-rooted problems, as we'll see when the story unfolds. So what happens is the vampires decide that we're going to orchestrate a fight against the Nordics in their territory. And there was a rumble that was put together that was going to be in a schoolyard between 45th and 46th Street 
between uh, 9th and 10th Avenue. And this was clearly a white neighborhood, mostly Irish, some Italian. But this was an Irish neighborhood. Hell, everybody knows Hell's Kitchen in the 50s, 60s, 70s was an Irish neighborhood. You know, the, the, famous, uh, the famous gang, the Westies, come from that area. So what happens is the vampires put together an assembly of Puerto Rican gangs, not just them. It's the vampires. And they also have, uh, I believe it is the Young Lords and the Heart Kings. So the three of them go together. They go together to fight this group of Irish kids named the Nordics in August 29th, 1959 at midnight. They're going to fight at the schoolyard. So what's funny about the schoolyard, if you guys are anybody is from New York City and you are Gen X and before, right? You know that the schoolyards weren't like playgrounds like today. It was just concrete slab. That's all it was. And kids would hang out there. They'd play ball there. They'd play handball there. They'd play softball there. They'd play wiffle ball there, football there. But it was just a concrete slab. And there, there was nothing. wasn't swing. There weren't swings. There weren't, you know, slides or nothing like that. There was no sandboxes. So, obviously, I mean, I remember my, when I grew up, when I, my public school, they had that. And the high school kids would hang out there at night, you know, they'd hang out, bring their girlfriends, they'd drink, they'd uh, smoke weed. And that's what was happening at this park. You know, it was a summer night, kids from the neighborhood were hanging out. So during this time, there were four kids from the neighborhood hanging out, and they would smoke weed, they would drink beer, they'd bring their girlfriends there, blah, blah, blah. So it was four boys from, from the neighborhood there. And they didn't know what was going to happen. They had no idea this was going to happen. So at midnight, the vampires show up with the young lords and the heart kings, and there was about 12 or 13 Puerto Rican kids ready to do battle. And they were armed with, you know, broomsticks, pipes, uh, garrison belts. Garrison belts, if you saw my other one called the Ducky Boys, was a belt buckle and you would sharpen it, put it around your wrist. And when you punch somebody, you know, it was so sharp it would cut your face. They used these things as weapons, you know. There weren't too many shooters back then. You know, the the big guns, I mean, you from time to time you had a, you had a, a, a you know, a shooting but maybe one guy had a gun. The, 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 the massive gun flow really was around the 70s with the gangs. I did one called the Purple Gang. And there was shotgun, shotgunnings and so on and so forth. There was guns everywhere. But anyway, this was 1959. And uh, they go. They're going to fight the Nordics. The Nordics never show up. But there were these four, and the Spanish kids would call them Americans. Quote, unquote, the Americans. There was, there was these four Americans at the schoolyard and they were just hanging out. So they rushed these kids and they were basically bullying them saying, did you guys, did you guys pull, uh, beat up a Puerto Rican kid? They were like, no. They're like, are you guys part of the Nordics? They're like, no. And then they blocked off the exits to the uh, playground, the playground, the, the, the schoolyard. And they said, no gringos leave. There's only four of them. There was 13 of these kids. So there was... One kid named Rigiello Soto. And he said to one kid, are you part of the Nordics? And the kid said, no. And he goes, you're a fucking liar. Boom. Cracks the kid, punches him. And then, like, all hell broke loose after that. So these four kids were getting beat with bottles and fucking pipes and, uh, uh, you know, whatever you could think of that they would use back then. Like I said, garrison belts, bike chains, so on and so forth. And then... That's when the tragedy struck. There was this one boy, Puerto Rican boy, and all these kids were 15, 16 years old. There was one Puerto Rican boy named Tony Hernandez, and he had sharpened an umbrella. And he went there with a sharpened umbrella. 
and he stabbed one of the kids uh, in the stomach. Uh, that kid survived. But then the president, the leader of the vampires, Salvador Aran, he didn't go there to fight. He went there to kill people. He brought a knife. And he stabbed three kids. He stabbed a kid named Reamer. His last name was Reamer. He actually lived. And the other two kids that he stabbed was Robert Young and Anthony Krasinski. And these two kids died minutes later after they were stabbed. And one kid, uh, Robert Young, he stabbed in the back. And Krasinski, he actually stabbed in the chest while two of his friends held him down. These kids had no chance. And minutes later, these two kids were dead. They were dead. The next day, this became national news because these kids were not gang members. They weren't part of the Nordics. They were just kids hanging out in, in the neighborhood. And all hell breaks loose. They arrest Tony Hernandez. They arrest Salvador Agron, so on and so forth. It was really, it became a, it became a national news media scene in the newspapers, on the radio, and so on and so forth. You know, and, um, and apparently that summer there was like several gang killings. So the, the, the city was sick of it. I believe there was like eight, between eight and ten killings that summer of 1959. The city was sick of it. The people were sick of it. Um, so they really made an example out of Salvador Agron, who killed these two kids. They uh, tried him as an adult and found him guilty and sentenced him to death. Back then, uh, this was a normal practice uh, for New York City. They had the death sentence. He was the youngest kid ever to be sentenced to death. He was 16 years old, the youngest person ever to be sentenced to in New York City. Um, so, you know, what's strange is that these, this one particular kid, Salvador Agron, he didn't, he, you know, he doesn't, he's more than like a street tough kid. This kid was more drug, uh, bloodthirsty. They did call him Dracula. They called him the Cape Man, you know, um, so after he gets arrested, he's sentenced to death so on and so forth. Uh, a lot of backstories and research was done, were done, was done on him. And rightfully so, because people wanted to know why a 15, 16-year-old boy would be so vicious. Why would he be so bloodthirsty? This wasn't really an accident. He stabbed three kids intentionally. Brought the knife, stabbed them three, you know, stabbed three kids intentionally, killed two of them. So when you look at Salvador's background, you see he, he comes from a very, very difficult upbringing. And it, it basically shaped who he was by the time he got to a teenager. It was, it was really bad. So he's obviously born in Puerto Rico. He was born on the west coast of Puerto Rico. Both of his parents divorced <clears throat> early on. And it was him and his sister, and he was, was living with his mom. But it was strange because his mom got jobs uh, working at like a convent. And so he was living in a convent with the with nurses with the nurses with nuns and apparently these nuns would mistreat him and he was only able to see his his mom on the weekends or when she wasn't working or when he basically escaped to go see her because he wanted to see his mother so his mother gets remarried to a pentecostal minister I, you know don't ask me why right they the, the stepfather moves them all to new york city okay 
He does not get along well with the stepdad at all, this kid. Stepdad sends him back to uh, Puerto Rico to live with his father. His father also had remarried. But his stepmother actually hanged herself. And he found the body. So you can already see how his life is being shaped. You know, it's, it's a very difficult life already. You know, it was almost he had two choices, uh, you know, death or jail, especially back then. This was, it wasn't like how it is now where you go and you get help and there's mental therapy and there's, you know, you know people to help and guardians and so on and so forth and blah, blah, blah. So after his stepmother hangs herself and he finds her, he, this kid's getting into a lot of trouble in Puerto Rico. He's getting a lot of trouble. He's getting a lot of trouble. So his father sends him back to New York City. He goes back to New York City. But now he's in Brooklyn. He's in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. And he joins a, a, a popular gang called the Mau Mau's, which was another Puerto Rican gang. I believe it was a Puerto Rican gang. I'm uh, you know, pretty sure it had to be if he was, you know, because back then the gangs were not mixed. It was, uh, well, still today the gangs aren't mixed. But, you know, they're broken up into ethnicity. So it was called the Mau Mau's, which was a tough gang. But apparently, when Salvador Argon was young, he was really displaying severe symptoms of psychosis. He said that he would hear voices telling him to do terrible things. He would take a razor blade and cut himself. Um, he would hurt himself, bang his head against the walls and things like that. I mean, it was really, really difficult. He was also, also, by the time he was a teenager, he would, he would be involved with same-sex relationships. He, a lot of young boys... Things like that with him and other young boys, you know. Anyway, so after the <clears throat> after the um, the killing of Young and Krasinski, he's in prison, and I think he said something to the after he got arrested. He said, "I don't care if they burn me alive; my mother could watch." He was a very, very troubled young man. I mean, you could see from his upbringing that this kid was a really, really troubled kid, you know. But he had a charisma about him that uh, made people follow him and that's how he became the leader of the vampires right so during this time what was really strange is that um, well it wasn't strange it was compassion I guess you could say Eleanor Roosevelt the first lady and Robert Young Sr. the father of one of the boys that he killed they campaigned strongly to give Salvador Grand leniency they didn't want to set them to death and it somewhat worked because at the time, in 1962, the governor of New York City was Nelson Rockefeller. And he dropped the, sentence, the death sentence to life in prison. So now he has uh, uh, life in prison. While he's in prison, though, he's, he, he finds God. And he, he becomes a, 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 you know, a stand-up citizen, if you will. Gets his GED, learns to read and write in prison. He did not know how to read and write before that. Um, and it gets to the point where now you have the new governor in 1976, Hugh Carey, decides that um, he's going to let him grant him even more leniency and he's going to reduce his life sentence and he's going to be eligible for release in 1977. So while this actually happens, while this is going on, 
he becomes a student at SUNY New Pulse, and he's going to college. But in the evenings, he's in Fishkill Correctional Facility, and he obtains a Bachelor's of Arts in Sociology. But here's the thing. He actually runs. He tries to escape, even though he's this close. He runs. He tries to escape. But they don't hold it against him. They actually say it was symptoms of his psychosis that were the problem. So he's actually released. He graduates. He gets his bachelor's. And then he becomes a... He becomes a youth counselor and speaks out against gang violence for about five years. And then at 42 years old, he dies in a hospital of, in pneumonia, of pneumonia. Yeah, it was really, really... Um, Really, really sad story. Um, you know, you think of 1950s gangs and you think of, you know, just going just gonna to fight. Just going to fight. You know, you think of happy days and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But there were some tough, tough kids in tough, tough times. And they were all trying to survive and they were all trying to make their way. And Puerto Ricans were no different from Italians, Irish, blacks, Jews. You know, they had to they had to stand up for themselves and they had to make their way, you know. And this was part of their history in New York City. Unfortunately, some young kids suffered tremendously for it. What what was strange to me is that his the father of one of the kids that he killed actually campaigned for leniency. I mean, he, the man must have had a really good heart because I don't know many dads that would have done that. He would have most fathers would have wanted to see this boy die, I'm sure, right? If you want to know more about this story, because this goes in depth, because this was a national news story, and his life, you can learn more about his life, you can learn more about his, his mother, his stepmother, the other kids in the gang, so on and so forth. There's, I mean, there's plenty to look from. There is this book right here from Eric Schneider. It's... Uh, Youth Gangs in Post-War New York City. And it's um, Vampires, Dragons, and Egyptian Kings. And this is where I got a lot of my information from. And of course, I looked up everything else on you know, Google. And there's plenty of information about them on, on Google. But you know, what's funny is that uh, there's some pictures of the neighborhood now that all this happened in the 1950s. And the neighborhood has completely changed. It's, it's gentrified. It's beautiful. I mean, the, the, uh, the uh, brownstones are beautiful. Very expensive neighborhood now. Totally totally changed but it was just a tragic tragic story interesting but very very tragic story it was just a couple of young kids that were in the wrong place at the wrong time and they ran into a bunch of uh angry young confused teenagers that were trying to make their way and trying to survive in a rough time in new york city and um I enjoy doing these. I'm going to do another one. I don't know one. I don't know what next week will be. A friend of mine recommended I do the Black Spades, which is a very famous black gang. I believe they're from Brooklyn. I possibly might do that. I might do another one. I'm not sure, but I enjoy doing these, and I hope you guys enjoy it too. It's just a short one. Like I said, there's plenty of other information you can get if you, if you enjoy the, the topics. Uh, I only come on here do 15 to 20, maybe half hour total, and um, give you what my... The story is, and there's much more information you can go out and get, is a tremendous story, tremendous read. Again, the book is called Youth Gangs in Post-War New York, uh, Vampires, Dragons, and Egyptian King by Eric Schneider. I will put the link in the bottom 
where people could uh, read it. I believe I bought this on Amazon. And that's it, guys. All right. Till next time. Later. Peace.